0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Sermon Podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. In this age of computers and social media, we think we're more socially connected, but we're not. Are there benefits to being a part of a community of friends? Let's find out. Here's First Pres Assistant Pastor Steve Page with today's sermon.
1: Let me begin with a story of a, of a recent incident. You know, the other day I'm at the hardware store, and I'm buying a bunch of lumber. And I had one of the workers there cut every piece I bought in half, and I was so grateful because he saved me so much extra work on a really hot day. Well, after he did all that for me, I expressed my appreciation to him. And in typical guy fashion, he reflexively sticks out his hand to shake my hand. And I, without thinking, responded, shook his hand with no glove on. Well, two seconds later, I felt two things. One was, oh my gosh, where's the nearest hand sanitizer? And I literally ran to it. But the other one totally caught me off uh, by surprise. I realized that this was the first time in four months that I shook a person's hand. And you know what, it felt great. And I'm not exaggerating, I really mean it felt great. I had no idea a common handshake could bring such bliss. Maybe the slight euphoria was because for a moment I felt normal. And like many of you, I miss giving people hugs and handshakes at church. And you know, what I really miss is not seeing everyone at the grocery store as a potential super spreader. And for a brief moment, that anxiety was, wasn't even existent. Yeah, and it felt great. Now, let me be clear. I'm not advocating shaking anyone's hand or being involved in any actions that violate social distancing. Using masks, physical distancing, frequent sanitizing will save our lives and eventually save our economy. So please, please, please listen to Dr. Fauci. I just bring up that story because, like many of you, I'm tired of living in a way where a sense of community, even with the local hardware guy, has been put on hold. And as someone who has studied psychology, I can assure you that such conditions exacerbate another threat in our lives, and that's loneliness. Medical anthropologist Monica Spana warns us about the pandemic. She says, you know, pandem- pandemics aren't just physical. They bring with them almost a shadow pandemic of psychological and societal injuries as well. One of those injuries is loneliness. You know, even before the pandemic, even before social distancing, the issue of loneliness in our society was far reaching and deeply injurious to our souls. Before COVID, Cigna Insurance Company did a report and they found that three in five Americans are lonely. That's 60%. That's nearly 200 million Americans that reported being lonely before COVID. And even despite all the social media stuff that we utilize, 22% of millennials say they have zero friends. Why is that a big deal? Because loneliness is one of the biggest threats to our well-being. Social neuroscientist John Cassioppo, who has studied the physiological, psychological, sociological, sociological impact of loneliness, reported that the level of toxicity from loneliness is stunning. Look, air pollution increases our odds for an early death by 5%. Obesity 20%, excessive drinking, 30%, and loneliness increases your odds for an early death by 45%. You ever wonder why God gives us so many directives about being in healthy communities? He's not just being arbitrary in His commands, He knows the human condition. He created the human condition, and He knows what it takes socially, emotionally, relationally, and psychologically to thrive and to live at the highest levels of humanity. And he also knows what can shatter the human condition into a million pieces. Simply put, if we don't live into how we are divinely hardwired, we will physiologically and psychologically go haywire. And so this is why I want to continue today on that theme that Pastor Dan touched on last week, the need for all of us, including me, to be involved in some sort of small, healthy, soul-strengthening community. Let me zero in on a few verses that can help give us some wisdom and direction about this issue. The writer of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is writing to Christian people who are experiencing hardship and difficulties and suffering. So the writer, in in an effort to help them persevere and still thrive despite the circumstances, gave them a lot of advice. And part part of his advice was this in chapter 10. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, like the audience of this letter, we too are in a season where life is difficult and anxiety provoking. And because of that, sometimes our hope can take a big hit. And notice that the writer of Hebrews doesn't recommend generating some, quarter, some sort of tendu spirit to contend with all this. Or he doesn't give advice on how to tough it out on your own. The writer implores us to remember to not only keep our faith in God, but don't neglect meeting together. And to be proactive in encouraging one another to do greater things even amidst trials and difficulties. Look, I know for some of us, when we live in kind of challenging environments like today, our instinct is not necessary to reach out and find encouragement from others, but it's to withdraw, to just grit our teeth and suck it up. But science and the scriptures tell us that is hazardous to our health. And this is why as the pastor who oversees our small group ministry, I want to stress that we all, we all need to move toward a form of discipleship and community that will keep us connected and growing and impactful in our world for the sake of God and his kingdom. Now, I want to be very clear about something. For me personally, small groups are not some sort of churchy program that we perpetuate because, well, you know, churches always have small group programs. For me, they are not simply a side dish on the buffet of church activities. They are often the greatest mean towards spiritual growth and healing and the transformation of human life. Let me spend a few moments looking at some very practical reasons as to why small groups are not only helpful, but vital to our lives as Christians. And I also want to look at what do groups bring out? What do they have to offer that make them so crucial to the mission of the church? Well, first of all, groups make church sticky, and they provide a buffer to life's challenges. Researcher Tom Rainier found that new Christians who immediately became active in a small group are five times more likely to remain in church five years later than those who are active in worship services alone. Think about that. You know, as much of an effort we put into having really great church services and programs, and we have some great ones— It's the small groups that really make church sticky. And here's the thing. When we stick around a church community and start to share life together, we have more resources to buffer our life against the the hardships that inevitably come our way, like COVID or like relational problems or financial struggles and a whole lot more. Look, folks, to be human is to suffer. That's normal. But we were never meant to suffer alone. You know, more than two millennia ago, before science discovered the deleterious effects of loneliness, the people of God knew the vital importance of being in community. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, their friend can help them up, but pity the person who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What wisdom for life are these verses making painfully clear? Well, the pitiable person is not the person who experiences intense hardship or distress or even falls. Falling is normal. But it is the person who falls alone. That is the real tragedy. So don't live or fall alone as a Christian during this crisis. Seek out a small community to walk with, to pray with, to share life with. And to share life so you can stay focused on God and remain strong in your spirit. Now, second, groups are the best means of helping each other grow as a disciple as Jesus. In our first prayers, we define discipleship in part this way. Discipleship is that process where we care for and equip one another to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to find wholeness and healing in Jesus, and to serve Jesus in His mission. See, these are the outcomes we seek to develop in and through your, in and through your lives. And I, and I wish I had time to break down that entire definition. But let me just focus on two of the words in that definition. One another. See, that one another aspect to discipleship is crucial for a couple of reasons. One, because these outcomes of discipleship that I spoke of can't be achieved by simply attending church. Look, can I say something a little risky here? There are too many of us Christians who attend church. Now, I know that sounds nuts coming from a pastor. We always want people to attend church. But let me clarify something. Throughout the New Testament, you know, we Christians, we're called a lot of things. We're called saints, we're called servants, we're called disciples, or we're called fellow priests. But never once are we called attenders. Yet this is often the term we use, isn't it, when we talk about our experience with church, our activities with church. We attend first prayers. We attend a Sunday school class. We attend a small group. We attend youth group or young adults or whatever. But think about it. What is really the experience of someone being an attender? Well, I come, I sit, I watch, I take in, I go home. I'm not sure that sounds like a great recipe for vibrancy and vibrant growth. Look, brothers and sisters, let me be honest, we will never be able to attend our way to spiritual intimacy, maturity, and vibrancy. Look, feel free to attend an opera, attend a school play, attend a PTA meeting, but build a church, disciple a group, counsel a friend, pray for a member, serve in the mission of God. You know, in 36 years of ministry, I've learned this reality. Attenders fill a church, but disciples build them and extend them. And we want you to join God and us in building this church and to join in extending our mission and impact in the world. See, you folks will be able to impact the world in ways we pastors will never get a chance to do, even if we served another hundred years in ministry. And this is a crucial reason why we still need to meet together and encourage one another towards love and good deeds, even during COVID. Because when we do, people grow in ways and discover ministries and gifts they may not even know they have. You know, I think of the people along the years who have spurred me on to greater acts of love and good deeds and have helped me discover my, my, my spiritual gifts and expand my ministry. You know, when I was 24 years old, I was, wasn't a Christian very long, about three years. And I, and I went into the ministry and I worked in a refugee camp in Southeast Asia. My parents were stunned and deeply disappointed at my newfound career. And I can assure you, it was not a pleasant way to enter the ministry without the encouragement and support from those whom I sought it most. And this left me feeling a bit insecure at times. You know, God, am I doing the right thing? Even my parents think I'm crazy. Well, after a few months at that refugee camp, I was asked to preach in this combined service of the different Christian refugees. There was Vietnamese, Cambodian, Laotians there. And let me tell you something. That day I preached, I was incredibly nervous. I mean, after all, who was I to preach to these people? I'm just some young Christian. I hadn't even read the whole Bible yet, and I I knew next to nothing about formal theology. In a nutshell, I felt I was in way over my head. However, as that was going on within me, my supervisor, who was old enough to be my dad, watched me preach that day, and for some crazy reason, he saw potential in me. Now look, I couldn't see that I would ever be much of a preacher because, like I said, I was so unlearned in the way of our faith. And because, let's be honest, in those days I sounded a lot more rocky than I did Shakespeare. You think it's bad now. It was terrible then. But as the weeks went by and as he saw me preach more and more and struggle more than you could possibly imagine, he asked to meet with me each week for prayer and to share what God was doing in our lives. So we started this little micro group together, and in time, his encouragement led me to actions and steps I never thought about taking and never saw coming. See, up to that point, I was so full of zeal. I was really gung-ho. I never thought I would even return to the United States for the rest of my life. But he convinced me to return to the U.S. to attend seminary so I can put better tools in my ministry toolbox, as he put it. Let me tell you, it was a life-altering decision it was, in so many ways, it was life-altering because it really did make me more impactful in ministry. And in seminary is where I met my wife. Thing is, I often wonder what my life would have been like if he didn't take the time or the initiative or the intentionality to meet with me and encourage me as a Christian, to guide and support me in days where I really felt clueless as a minister. You know, the thing I appreciated most was that he was able to see in me what I could not see in myself. I will never forget him, and I will never be the same because of him. By his words of encouragement and wisdom and guidance, I became 10 times the minister I ever would have been without him. Folks, there are so many people in our community that need another brother or sister to, to bring some encouragement or wisdom or guidance to their lives. They need people who can see in them more than what they can see in themselves. So let yourself become God's instrument to stretch another soul to greater things, I promise you, you will never ever regret it. Now, all that positive stuff being said, there is another crucial thing that groups or meetings with others can provide for us that is really difficult to do on our own or in large gatherings. You see, small groups, if they're done well, there's something crucial for our growth. They confront us with ourselves. And what I mean is, yeah, good groups affirm the majestic parts of our lives, but they can also help us deal with the not-so-majestic parts of our lives. You know, it's absolutely true there is glory in all of us, but often it is buried under busyness or pain or the distractions of life, buried under a, a lifetime of denigrating or demeaning messages from others. And so that wonderful glory in us is never really allowed to arise But done right, small groups uniquely provide a sense of safety and security, belonging and support, which allows us to face things in our life that need growth, that need change, that need healing. You know, one reason we we fail to grow is because what needs growth and what needs change is not revealed, and thus it's not confronted in a loving and wise manner. And it's not revealed because most of us really fear transparency. We fear being deeply known because we fear rejection. And as a result of that fear-filled hiddenness, we remain soulfully stunted. As Alcoholics Anonymous has put it, we are as sick as the secrets we keep. You know, and if we don't face our brokenness, eventually we will transmit what we don't transform. And others will always end up wearing what we don't want to face. The anger that we don't want to face, or the immature ways we deal with conflict that we don't want to face, or maybe the inability to be intimate with others, or to keep healthy boundaries with others, all kinds of things. Let me ask you, have you ever been at a workplace, or at home, or even at a church, where you've worn the splatter of other people's immaturity or lack of healing? For example, at home, everybody walks on eggshells so as not to upset Dad. Why? Well, because Dad has never dealt with how to handle his anger. So instead of him changing and growing, others have to wear his irresponsibility to face himself and make the changes that need to be done. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And this is why we need small groups and discipleship experiences because they can provide a safe, compassionate, loving, and unique way to reveal, to face, and to overcome the things that wound us, stunt us, overwhelm us, and eventually hurt others along the way. Wouldn't you want to have that kind of space, that kind of community in your life to actually work through your struggles in a healthy way? Moreover, there are things said and experienced in a group that are not very common in a person's week. I mean, think about this. How many other places in a person's week do people experience someone else giving them their full attention, their full attention asking something like, so Bob, how's your soul? How is your life really doing? Susan, how can I help you become all that God intends? How can I help your life become greater, your marriage to become richer, the shattered pieces of your life to become whole again? Where else does that happen? If we're extremely lucky, we may experience it once in a blue moon, but for too many folks, such soul talk, such soul friendship is very, very rare. Let me tell you what I mean by soul friendships. Soul friendship is the gift of a place where anything can be said without fear or criticism or ridicule. It is a place where masks and pretensions can be set aside. It is the place where it is safe to share the deepest secrets, the darkest fears, most acute sources of shame, most disturbing questions or anxieties. It is a place of grace, a place where others are accepted as they are for the sake of who they may become in Christ. That's from writer David Benner. I love that quote. Now, nearly all of us carry around for too long in our souls deep secrets, dark fears, disturbing doubts, and stories of shame. You know, often I hear and see in counseling people who are busy as heck attending all kinds of church stuff and Bible studies and whatnot, but they have no one and no place to truly speak fearlessly, no group with whom they can be completely transparent. And so as a result, the secrets, the fears, the doubts and the shame remain and they remain in them, sucking the life out of them, causing them to walk, maybe sometimes for decades as a Christian, with a spiritual limp and a worn-down soul. How many people in this church, in this larger community, need that place you can provide to allow them to speak fearlessly about the pain they carry or the worries or the fears or the doubts or the shame? Through your small groups, The herding move from hiddenness to openness and Lord willing to wholeness, just as God intended. And this is where I want to explain something about what we call our small groups. We actually call our small groups life groups. And they're called life groups because, well, it's not only a community in which we do book studies or Bible studies, though that's extremely important in our development as a Christian. But they are also a community in which we seek to do life together, to love each other, to encourage each other towards our hopes and dreams, and to really be there for each other, not only when we succeed, but when we struggle and stumble and fall flat on our face. And they're also called life groups because, as Jesus said in John 10.10, that he came so that we would have life and have it to the full. And that's what we want to see grow in each other through groups. Life to the full in and through Jesus Christ. The vision for our life groups is simply this, to multiply communities of disciples on mission together. Look, we want our groups to multiply like rabbits, not just to become insular clusters that forge a a communal cul-de-sac for like 10 or 15 years. We need you to multiply, because reality is there will never be enough staff to do all the discipleship or soul care or counseling or evangelism that needs to be done in our community. So our life groups must have a multiplication mentality. Let me tell you about one couple in our church that really models this mentality. I first met Jeremy and Megan Lim in a Sunday school class I did for young married folks. And we went around the room that first day asking people, so why are you taking this class? And many of the couples say, well, you know, we've been here a few years, but really haven't made any deeper connections, so we're hoping this class can provide that. If it doesn't, we're probably going to leave. Well, that class of about 26 people really jived with each other. And after we finished the course, Jeremy and Megan approached me and asked if they could start a group from the class. And so we gave them the green light and they started with, I think, about eight couples in a group. Well, that group in about a year became two groups. And then it quickly became three groups. Now, I think it's four years later, and that whole experience created at least six groups and other ministries. That makes about several dozen young families, finding community, finding soul friendship, growing in discipleship, families that are finding healing for their souls and for their relationships and encouragement for their lives. And you know what? Out of those groups have come all kinds of people who are now leaders at our church. You see, if Jeremy and Megan didn't start that group, I don't know where those folks would be today. If you want to know what we're trying to do through our small group ministry, our life group ministry, there it is. Folks we need you. The larger community needs you to help us all, including me, become as God intended, to help us hold on to the hope we have in Christ during this time of crisis. So how can we jump into these groups and gatherings that I'm talking about today? Well you can find all this information on our Connect From Home webpage. The link is right there in the chat area. And there you're going to find all kinds of info for groups and gatherings like Alpha, Rooted, Just Show Up, Life Groups, Digital Connect Groups, Support Groups, and all other kinds of groups as well. Let me close this message with an African proverb that sums up a lot of what I've been saying. And it goes like this. If you want to walk fast, walk alone. If you want to walk far, walk with others. I know the messiness of community may feel like it slows us down a bit, but a healthy community will take us a lot farther than we could ever get to on our own. Farther in wisdom, farther in healing, farther in service, in spiritual maturity, and in kingdom impact. May you all not only find, but co-create a community that take people far in their relationship with Jesus. Now, as I close in prayer, I want to pray especially for those who are needing community today. But I also want to pray for those who not only need community, but need Christ himself. Maybe you too are feeling like you're falling. Falling into things that are so overwhelming you can't see the way out. Well, Jesus wants to invite you to commit your journey, your life, your problems, your struggles, your pain to him. So please join me now as we pray together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, first of all, we confess our need for community in order to become as you intend. And for those of us, Lord, who are a little shy today to seek out a group, well, I pray for courage. I pray for courage to step out in faith, to contact a group or maybe even start a group. And Lord, show all of us how we can encourage each other and stretch each other towards your best for our lives and making us an instrument of your healing and wisdom and peace and guidance for our community. And for those of us this morning who want to give your life fully to Jesus today, just follow me in this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I confess the futility of trying to live life on my own terms. Forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. And as best as I know how, I commit my life to you. Come and fill me with your spirit today. And we pray all these things in your gracious name, Lord. Amen. All right. Well, for those of you who prayed that prayer for the first time to give your life to Christ, there's a couple of more things that I want to ask you to do. First of all, you can click on that that I commit my life to Jesus button that's appearing on the screen now and, and that's on the chat pane. And then second, after you click that button, please also click where it says ask for prayer, okay? Because there it'll take you to a prayer team member or a pastoral staff can get connected with you right now in a chat window. And we really wanna celebrate with you and encourage you and, and pray with you to affirm this big decision that you've made in your life. Now, we have all kinds of other information like that we'd like to get to you that will help you in your newfound walk with the Lord. All right, well, thanks again, everyone, for joining us today. Again, if you have given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to hit that raised hand button and remember to... Uh, uh, if you want to stick around after the service to join a digital discussion group, just hit that link that's in the chat area. And who knows, maybe this could be the first week of creating long-term community with others. And if you want to find more out more about Alpha or rooted or life groups, use that other link to get to our connect from home webpage. And so now please receive this blessing at Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Aloha.
0: There's no doubt your world will be better when you have other people surrounding you. And just as important, other people will be blessed with you in their lives. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Normally, we meet Sundays at our Ko'olau campus or at the Vine in Kaka'ako. But for now, you can find the entire church service streamed online on the church website, fpchawaii.org. For our virtual church service, click the online church box at our regular church service times, Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11.11, and Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. Be sure to check your email for links to sermons, church news and updates, daily devotionals, and details on our reopening. If you have any questions or needs, you can always reach the church through the website or just call 808 532 one, one. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishito. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2020 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.